Bibles to the Gospel of John. John chapter 3, and today we are going to read verses 16 through 18. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. That is the word of the Lord. So it's, uh, it's been about maybe a good month and a half to two months that I have been struggling with something, and uh, I, I want it to be transparent with you this morning about it uh, for the sake of prayer, but also for the sake of bringing honor and glory to God. Uh, what I've been struggling with is my preaching. I've, I've been in a rut here lately. That's the best way to describe it. And it's not necessarily on the preparation of it. The preparation of the preaching uh, ministers to me in it as it always has. And I'm blessed because of that. But more, it's been more on the side of the, uh, the, the actual preaching uh, part of it, the, uh, the, the application, the preaching of the word of God and how I present uh, the sermon. I've been struggling with that and uh, I'm, I'm grateful to the Lord that I was able to meet with a couple of other pastor brothers that I have. But not only that, but the topic that I'm preaching on today is really has really helped me with, uh, with that. Uh, it has helped me with this rut that I'm in. And the topic is, is very essential, but yet the way many people would see it is that, is that it's very basic uh, in, in our faith. But when we talk about Jesus being, being the Savior of the world, to me that's anything but basic. It's foundational, yes. But as far as basic is concerned, I think that is one of the, that is the treasure that we have uh, as Christians is that the, the fact that Jesus is Lord and Savior of the world. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning, and that's what has enriched me so much this week, going back and meditating on that fact, and also looking at this passage uh, to, to see who Jesus is and what he has come to do. Uh, I want to start there, though. Have, have you ever wondered what God's real purpose was in sending Christ. I, I hope you've wondered that. Uh, at some point or another, I think every Christian has wondered this, and it has, it has crossed all of our minds. But I don't think people think about this as often as they need to. What was God's real purpose in sending Christ? I think if we think about that more and we search the scriptures for it, we will have less questions about our salvation than, we, we, than, than many do today. Many doubt their salvation often because they, don't, they do not realize that their salvation is not in themselves, but rather it is in the work, the finished work of Christ. It's not based on our goodness, but rather it's based on his goodness. It is, we, we have received salvation by grace through faith. 
It has been given to us as a gift. You see, but if we do not wonder what God's real purpose was in sending Christ, and we do not search the scriptures for it, then I think that could lead to some confusion. Because uh, there are many in the world who believe that Christ was sent just as a holy man. Just as a holy man to, uh, to provide a good moral example for everyone. Did you know that the Hindus and the Muslims, that they actually uh, recognize Christ as a holy man, as someone who was set apart? Maybe not that he is the son of God, but that he is a, he is a, a, a holy, he was a holy person who had really good morals and we should be like Christ in that sense. But that's all they think about him. The people who lived in Jesus' time believed that he was sent, that he was from God. But many of them believed that he was an earthly Messiah, that his kingdom was an earthly kingdom. That it did not transcend to the kingdom of God, but rather he was coming to overthrow the Roman government, to free them from the Roman oppression, and to lead Israel as its king. Many of the disciples thought this. That's why they initially followed Jesus. But the Holy Spirit taught them otherwise. Barna Research Group in 2016 says that 73% of Americans identify as Christians. I was kind of surprised about that. I see that as a, a big number, especially when we start to look around in the, at the way the world is today. But 73% of Americans identify as Christians. Now, my mother used to tell me that if it sounds too good to be true, then it probably isn't, right? Well, out of those statistics that I just gave you, only 31% were practicing Christians. So 73% say that they identify as Christians, but only 31% were practicing Christians. That leaves 42% out. What I mean by practicing Christians, I mean those who who live according to scripture, those who attend church on a regular basis, uh, those who are involved in ministries, those who are involved in church fellowship. That's basically what those 31% fall into. So out of the 73 that say I, I'm a Christian, only 31% are practicing Christians. But out of the 31%, 55 of the 31%, practice heterodoxy. And what that means is they practice things that are not in Scripture. That's in the most basic terms. Versus orthodoxy, which is the standard norm, the standard that the Bible sets. So out of the 31%, 55% just practice basically loose, they have loose theology. While the other side, the, the minority of the 31%, they align their spiritual beliefs with what the Bible says. So we know that the Bible is God's inspired word. It comes from him. So when we practice orthodoxy and we, we, we follow what, the, what, the, what scripture says, 
then we know we cannot go wrong with that. But if we have loose theology, we could be anywhere. So who knows what people really believe today? Now, as we look at this story, we see Nicodemus and he uh, approached Christ. And when he approached Christ that faithful night, I'm willing to bet that that same question was on his mind. In fact, when we read the passage, it seems to be on his mind. Who is Jesus really and what was he sent here for? He knew Jesus was special. In fact, when he approached him, he called him rabbi, means teacher. In a more intimate sense, it means master. We know that, he says, we know that you are a teacher come from God. So in other words, he's saying, we know that you are, you're not a normal man, that you're this exceptional teacher, and that you come from God, for no one can do these signs. Signs is another word for miracles. No one can do these miracles that you do unless God is with him. But he approached Jesus as a teacher from God. We all know in here, or at least we should, that there is more to Jesus than that. There is more to Christ than what Nicodemus realized. In this sermon, we will explore who Jesus was, or I like to say is, I say was because we are reading this passage here, but he does not change. Who he was is who he is. And we will also explore why he was sent into the world. And I believe by getting to these two things and by getting these things right, it will set us up for, to, to have a solid theology. And I think these two things are essential for a solid theology. So let's get to the first one. Who is Jesus? Now, thankfully for us, John does a great job in this gospel explaining who Jesus is. In fact, every gospel has a theme to it. The, the theme to the gospel of John is the deity of Christ. That is the whole theme throughout the whole book. John goes through great lengths to uh, tell us, show us, explain to us. The, the deity of Christ. And 3.16 says that he is the only son of God. Now, when we see the title son of God, well, that carries with it the deity of God. What John is saying is that Jesus is God. That's what he's saying, and he says it throughout the whole book. Jesus is God. I like the way Paul puts it in Hebrews 1, 3. In speaking about Christ, he says he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. I like, that's Hebrews 1, 3. In that passage, there are three key words that describe Jesus and who he really is. Number one, radiance. It means a light, to beam a light. Radiance is Speaking of his holiness, he is the radiance of the glory of God. He is holy. He is holy as God is holy. He is the exact imprint of his nature. Who God is, Christ is. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. They 
have the same power. Also, in the Gospel of John, Christ is said to be the word that was with God and the word that was God. In the beginning, he is the word that was with God and he is the word that was God. We see that in John 1, verse 1. You see, when Nicodemus initially saw Jesus, he saw him as a teacher from God, but in reality, we know through Scripture, especially through the Gospel of John, that Jesus is God in the flesh. Now, Nicodemus would soon come to know this. As I shared with you a couple of weeks ago that Nicodemus became a believer, and we see that in Scripture. He defended the apostles later on, and we also see that uh, he was present at Jesus' burial. In fact, he was the one who was in charge of Jesus' body afterward. This conversation that he had with Christ changed his life because Christ revealed himself to Nicodemus. He showed him who he was. Listen, if you are a Christian today, you are a Christian because Jesus has revealed himself to you. He has changed your heart so that you can know and you can see that he is God in the flesh. He is the son of God. He is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. A wonderful thing for us to see. Not everybody sees that. Not everybody appreciates that. Not everybody accepts that. If you are a Christian today, you are blessed because God has opened your eyes to that. But that takes care of who Jesus was. Now, the next question we're going we're gonna to spend a little bit more time on, and that was what Jesus, what was Jesus sent to do? I'd like to break this point down into three separate sections. I want to answer this question in three separate sections. What was Jesus sent to do? Number one, Jesus was sent to please the Father. Number two, Jesus was sent to glorify himself. And number three, Jesus was sent to save the world by the cross. These three things are pointed out in verses 16 through 18 of our passage. Yeah, well, really 16 and 17. Verse 18 is another topic we're going to discuss here at the end of the sermon. So number one, Jesus was sent to please the Father. Verse 16 and 17 both say this. John 3.16 says that that, that God the Father gave his only Son. Then we see in verse 17, it says that God the Father sent his son. When we look at those two, they mean the same thing. They mean the exact same thing. I think we need to really think about it. If God sent his son, or if God gave his son, then there was something for the son to do. Reminds me of our kids. Whenever we send our kids somewhere, we ask them to go somewhere for us. We just don't ask them to go to some place and go for no reason. The reason why we are sending them 
It's because we want them, we want them to do something for us. Now, when it comes to our kids, 90, 90% of the time, what we are asking them to do doesn't get done. But when it comes to Christ, 100% of the time, he does what the Father sends him to do. And that something for Jesus was to be the Savior of the world. Now, there's this misconception that I'd like to cover real quick before we move on, that God sent Jesus as sort of as a last resort. Kind of as a last resort, last ditch effort to save the world. It's like the, 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 the clock was clicking down or, or, or it was coming down and, and everything was about to just end in a, a, a very traumatic and bad way. And at the last minute, God said, okay, never mind. I'm going to finally send my son. Everything else I have done has not worked. So I'm going to send my son so he could save the world. That is a huge misconception that some have, that Jesus was the last resort to save the world. If we are careful to look at scripture and we are careful to understand what the gospel says, we will see that Jesus had always been God's only answer to bring peace between a holy God and a sinful people. He was always the only answer. He was never the last resort. He was the answer before time began. That's what John is trying to tell us. As soon as man fell from grace, Jesus was promised to be our Savior. Jesus is all over the Old Testament. Genesis 3.15, in creation, Jesus is mentioned after Adam and Eve sinned. God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That is speaking of Christ. As soon as man fell, God promised Christ. He promised that he would send his son to be the savior of the world. And Jesus was sent and Jesus accomplished what he was sent for. And because Jesus was obedient to the whole law of God, every single point of it, he lived perfectly. And because he lived perfectly according to the whole law of God, and because he was obedient to death on the cross, he completely and utterly pleased the Father. No one else could do that. That's why he was the savior of the world. Listen to this very carefully. We need to be thankful that the Father sent him and that he pleased the Father. Because we were going to face the Father's wrath. There needed to be a penalty paid for sin. And if Jesus hadn't pleased the Father for us, we would still all be lost. And the wrath of God would still be upon us as a huge shadow at the very end of life. We wouldn't have the hope that we have. There would only be death. 
there would only be loss. There would only be terror. But Jesus faced all that for us. And it's a different story. So, secondly, Jesus came not only to please the Father, but he came or he was sent to glorify himself. Verse 17 gives us a glimpse of that. Now, I like to say this it's not like Jesus didn't already have glory or that he needed glory. John chapter 1, verse 3 says that all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. That doesn't sound like anybody who lacks any kind of glory. Everything that we see before us, all things were made through him. And John's very clear, not a thing that is made, not a thing that exists was made outside of Christ. In fact, that seems the opposite of not having any glory. That seems like all the glory in the world, glory times infinity. See, but the problem was, and this is what John says in his gospel, he says that the world did not know him and his own people did not receive him. That was the problem. And this is even after the Old Testament pointed to him, prophet after prophet, one failed man after another pointed to the need man had for a savior. Well, my friends, we know through God's word that Jesus is that savior. And he glorified himself by, believe this or not, by humbling himself. He humbled himself by putting on flesh. And entering his creation, the creation where everything was made through him, for him. He entered his creation and he died on the cross. Now, when you look at that, you think in, 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 in earthly terms, it does not sound like someone glorifying himself. It sounds like the opposite. Because a lot of people don't see glory in humbling themselves. But God does. Because he didn't have to do it. But out of his goodness, mercy and grace, he humbled himself. He died on the cross and he brought all glory to himself. You see, because he was faithful and true, the Lord received all his glory. And this glory is due to him before even time began. Think about this for a second. If someone is a savior, let's just speak on a, in, in, the, in the physical realm here. If someone is your savior, he deserves, he deserves all glory from you. And what I mean by that is he deserves all appreciation from you. Because he has... You were, you were in a situation where, let's say you were in a car accident. And worst case scenario, you were in a car accident, you were trapped. Car bursts in flames. Starts to race towards you. You cannot get out of your seatbelt. You start screaming, you start yelling for someone to get you out. Then all of a sudden, 
Somebody reaches for the door and rips it off, cuts your seatbelt off, and removes you from it just before the, 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 the flames reach you. How would you approach that person? You wouldn't say, hey man, thanks, I appreciate that. I guarantee you wouldn't. You would look at that person and you would see him in a way you, you've never seen anybody else before at that moment. You would have extreme appreciation for what that person has done. And that's just in the physical realm. That's just with our physical life. Well, Christ has done more than that in the spiritual realm with our whole life, physical and spiritual. He is our Savior. And he deserves all glory. That means he deserves all of our worship. He deserves our commitment, our praise. He deserves everything he doesn't get. And what I mean by that is we fall short. But that's why the Bible tells us that with our whole lives, we should live to honor Christ. Listen, if he wasn't sent to glorify himself, this is important too. If that wasn't true, then he wouldn't be God. Because no matter what God does, he gets the glory in it. And then thirdly, why was Jesus sent into the world? Well, he was sent to save the world. Verse 17 says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Praise God is right. I think as Christians, we need to look at this verse and really, really go, really study this verse and come to know it. This is one of the, the great verses in the Bible for us. The fact that Christ came to save the world is important for us to know because it reveals his wonderful nature, his, his love, his humility. And it also reveals the fact that he was always on a rescue mission. Jesus was sent to the world to rescue us. And when I say us, I... I speak of Christians. And the reason why I think this is so important is because if anything other than, than that is true, and what I mean by that is if anything other than it being a rescue mission is true, then we would all be in big trouble. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's why I think this verse is so important to all of us and it should be important to us because here in verse 17, we see that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Praise God for that. Because if he had sent his son to condemn the world, then we fall into the category of all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We would all be condemned. What a blessing that God did not send his son to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. It was a rescue mission. God sent his son to rescue us. 
not to condemn us. I think the implications of that are enormous because there are so many who do struggle with that whole fact of being saved and staying saved. They struggle with it because in their minds they think that if I do, if I commit this sin or if I die while while I am sinning, then I could lose my salvation. The fact is, is that you never gained it. If it were up to your works, Romans 3.23 would apply and it would call you a sinner and you have fallen short of the glory of God. And then that leads us back to verse 17 of John chapter 3 and you would be condemned because of your sin. You see, there's no way for us who are in Christ, to ever lose our salvation because our salvation is not based on our works. Christ was sent to rescue us, not to condemn us. Our our, our salvation is in Christ alone. Romans 3.23 basically tells us that we all needed Jesus to save us. And if he had come to condemn the world, then we would all be condemned with the world. But God being rich in mercy, he sent him into the world that the world might be saved through him. Now the world or the word world, try to say that. The word world means here speaks of every believer from every tribe and nation. I think that's important for us to talk about today. I also think it's very important that Nicodemus is hearing this, an Israelite. An Israelite, somebody of influence from Israel, is hearing that, and it's changing his life. It's not only important for Nicodemus, it's also important for us. I love this passage in the book of Revelation There's a song that is sang by those who are saved by the Lamb. Listen to the song that I'm going to read you and see how it relates to what I've mentioned about who the world is in this passage. Here's the song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain. And by your blood, you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. That's Revelation 5, 9 through 10. When John three sixteen says, for God so, so, so loved the world, that's what he's speaking of. These saints from every language, from every part of the world, from every tribe. This is huge. Because this is what it's saying in reality. When it says that that God sent his only son to, to, to save the world, it's saying this. That Jesus was sent not only to save the Israelites, as Nicodemus would have thought. Not only the Israelites, 
but also the Gentiles. He was there to save the Gentiles who the Father had given him. That's you and I. We fall into that category. See, you must realize the gift that you have in being saved. You must also realize the gift that you have in receiving eternal life through Jesus Christ. I mention that because I think that there are many who don't bat an eye at, have been being, at, at having been saved. It's just kind of one of those things that you do. Maybe because we, we see it so often or we just take it for granted that those 73% that the Barna Research Group says are Christians, we just take it for granted that they are Christians. Everybody in America, it seems like the majority is Christian just by professing that, hey, I'm Christian. So when it comes to salvation, many people walk around and they don't even bat an eye at it because they have no idea what they were facing without Christ. If they knew the wrath that they were facing and the wrath that Christ saved them from, it'd be a different story. My son and I, we were able to go to a General's baseball game uh, a couple weeks ago, about a week and a half ago, I guess. Or was it earlier this week? I can't remember. Time is flying. But it was really cool. I... First time at a, at, a, at a game here in Victoria, and I really enjoyed myself. The field is very, you're, you're very close to the field. You can hear, see everything. And uh, we were sitting back. One thing I noticed, there were a lot of fly balls, or foul balls. And a lot of foul balls that were going behind us. So when one of the players would come up, they'd swing, pop. Foul ball would go over the canopy that we were sitting under, and then it'd go into the parking lot. Well, first there was a walkway, and then the gate, and then there was the parking lot. If you go to a general's game, don't park close to the field. Okay, Just that warning. Several of the vehicles were hit that day. But I kept on noticing, so I turned in, I was, yeah, boom. I turned around, it's like, okay, who's going to get hit today, or who, what car is going to get hit now? But one occasion, a ball got hit, went behind, went over the canopy, and I followed it. And then, of course, when I'm, it goes over the canopy, I lost it. And I turned around, and I was waiting for it to come down again. Well, there's a walkway, as I said, right behind the canopy. And there's a manhole cover that, was, that had gotten my attention. Before I had looked, before that foul ball, a couple minutes before, I had heard somebody call somebody out, so I had turned to look down. I was at the very top, uh, at the very top, and, and I, I looked down, and there was this man standing on that manhole cover a couple minutes before. He was standing there, and he was talking to somebody. He had called somebody. I turned, looked, and I noticed the manhole cover, and I noticed that he was standing right on top of it. So fast forward two minutes, foul ball, boom, over the canopy, I turn around, look for the canopy, and all of a sudden, that ball comes and just hits the manhole cover. Man's not there anymore. He moved away. But I'm thinking, man, 
That guy had no idea that if he had stayed there just a couple, maybe a minute more, he'd got hit right on the center of the head by a foul ball. I think that's the way many people are when it comes to Christ and what Christ has done for them. They have no idea, no idea whatsoever what was coming their way, what they were facing. No idea. But when they find out, when they really become Christians, when they find out the price that was paid for them, all glory to Christ. Now, what about those who do not accept who Jesus is and what he accomplished on the cross? That's where verse 18 comes in. We've talked about who Jesus is and why he was sent. But what about those who don't accept either one? Verse 18 says this to them. Whoever does not believe is condemned. All right? Person is condemned. That means he is judged. He is judged to be wrong. He is judged wrong. Or he is found to be wrong. So whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. That's what John 3.18 says. Now listen to this very carefully. If you are in here and you do not believe what the Bible says about Christ, verse 18 is telling you that you are already condemned. You are found to be at fault. You are found to be unworthy. And you must face the wrath of God. You have been found to be guilty. And the reason why you are unworthy, the reason why you are guilty is because the price for your sins has not been paid. Because what Christ did on the cross, it doesn't work for you. It only works for those who believe in who he is and what he was sent, what he was sent to do. It does not work for you because you do not believe in who he is. So then, therefore, there must be a, a price that must be paid, and you yourself, not Christ, you yourself will have to settle your own account because you have chosen to place your faith in your own works instead of the works of Christ. And we, we know what the Bible says about our own works. The Bible says that none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Listen very carefully. Unless you turn to Christ and repent, you will perish. That's what John 3.16, that's the heart of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish 
but have eternal life. Only those, those who have eternal life are only the ones who believe in him. Outside of that, you will perish. My family and I have been on a couple of cruises. Always fun. But one thing that's very common on a cruise, as soon as you get on the cruise, you uh, get to unpack and everything, and then all of a sudden, um, they let you know that when you're boarding the cruise, that before the cruise takes off, they have to go over emergency procedures with you. And you, they do a drill, and you have, to, uh, you have to locate yourself, go to whatever section you're assigned to, get in line, wait, and that section that you're assigned to basically is they're, they're, they're assigning you to a raft, a life raft. And so before the ship takes off, you, they, they sound the alarm, and you're supposed to go and, and, and do that. You're assigned a life raft. And it's always real cool because you don't mind doing that because you're about to take a trip. Otherwise, it'd be like, really? Like, I have to do this? But it's essential. It's essential that you know where to report in case of emergency, in case that the ship is sinking. I started thinking about that as I was preparing this, and I thought, you know what? Those who have Christ have a raft. There is, we, we've been rescued. The world was sinking, it, it's, it's, it's falling, mankind has fallen, and God has provided Christ to us to rescue. But on the other side, those who don't believe in Christ, they do not have, they do not have that rescue boat. They are sinking with the ship. How wonderful it is to have Christ. So for the Christian, what I have told you today should cause worship to pour from your heart to God. That he would save such a sinner as yourself. Now for the unbeliever, what I have told you today should put fear into your heart. And it should cause you to run to Christ, to believe in him, and to repent from your sins. Let us pray. All gracious Father,